0: I dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's
1: dirty Deeds.
0: <laughs> yeah. G'day, Sab.
1: Well, hello there, Jamie. How are you, my friend?
0: Doing all right. Uh, on time today. Not going to give me a hard time like last no, week. No,
1: no. You was bang on time this week. In fact, five minutes early.
0: Waited in the car for half an hour. That's how nervous <laughs> I was. And I thought she'd give me a hard time if I'm early. So I'll just no, wait no, there.
1: Yeah, no, no. It's precision timing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all good mate, I've, I've forgiven you Thank
0: you, uh, good to be back, good to see you uh, Along with our mates at DeSatco Mulch uh, From your farm to you, check them out, DeSatco.com Got some feedback around our thong line
1: Yes, did they like it? Don't think so, oh, um, so I think that's such a good tagline Yeah Like thongs for your plants
0: Thongs for your plants
1: I think it's good Yeah well, I don't know why they didn't like it Maybe,
0: I don't know, maybe, maybe <laughs> I got the wrong memo We'll push it, we'll bring it back to them for another week We'll Uh, we'll
1: come up with something else.
0: What have you been up to this week? You've been throwing some mulch and some stuff?
1: Yeah, throwing a few thongs on my plants. And um, I've had, uh, my daughter's got a puppy. Really? Yeah, so I've had that hit here a fair bit.
0: Have you been doing the... um, Puppy sitting. Puppy sitting.
1: Yes. She's very cute, very good. But it made me realise just how much work puppies are. Oh,
0: they're a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. loves
1: she already loves digging in the garden really? I don't, don't know if that's going to end well
0: what's her name <laughs> she, she might <laughs> not make it to
1: Alice they wanted adulthood. to call they wanted what do they want to call her um well we've got a Tilly and we've got a Millie and I think they wanted to call it something else ending in an illy right. I said Billy Oh, no no because she's a girl oh yeah, Billy's a girl's name, name. Billy. yeah
0: I think it's a better girl's name than a boy's name oh. no yeah
1: actually I agree anyway so Jamie's you're not a girl's having name. another illy. No, we're more Illies, so they've called her Alice. Alice. Yeah. I like
0: dogs with human names. Yeah, me too. Like Hank.
1: I've got a spider called Brian.
0: Oh, is he still there?
1: <laughs> well, actually, I thought he was dead because he's so slack, but he's still in there. So,
0: this is the spider that you feed that lives in your bedroom. Yeah, you, you, catch flies. You catch all. him flies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. yeah. he's, he's dumb. He's Brian's a lazy. Bit, he's stupid. You've created
0: this mess. I <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know why he'd build a web where there's no passing traffic.
0: He's not clever and he's lazy and he knows you'll do it for him.
1: But he's only got, they only live for a year. He's about a year old, so he hasn't got long. Enjoy his last days.
0: If anyone else feeds a spider Mm. at their house, let Mm. us know because I reckon you'd be about the only one.
1: (laughs) No. Yeah. I love spiders. You do? Actually, there was a big big web hanging down above the foot of my bed, the head of my bed. And I never noticed it because I don't actually do any housework. And uh, my older daughter said, I don't know, that's kind of, you know, about 30 centimetres away from your mouth, that draping spider web. You might want to get rid of it.
0: You know those statistics that you don't know where they come from but everyone believes them to be true? There's one about how many spiders you eat in your sleep.
1: Uh, I actually did. In your lifetime. I swallowed a spider. That was on the edge of a glass of water in the middle of the night. And the reason I know it was a spider because I felt this thing in my mouth and it poof, like that. Oh, wow. Um, and it was just a very small spider. I think it was more shocked than I was. Yeah. One of its legs were a bit bent. Anyway, I took it outside because I don't like, it's not good to
0: eat them. No, but they reckon you eat a dozen spiders or something like that in your lifetime. Really? Just from sleeping with your mouth open, crawls in. <laughs> It's true. It's one of those stupid statistics that's all over the internet, you know. That is hilarious. Don't know how they figured it out.
1: <laughs> did that they? Would, that would so creep people out.
0: Was it this, What it? was the study? It was a camera in someone's room for their lifetime, <laughs> trained on their mouth, and a guy just watching <laughs> to make sure a spider didn't go in. Oh, dear God. Really awkward.
1: That's as bad as the person that did their PhD paper on looking at the amount of... STIs in ladybirds. Oh, really? Imagine doing that research.
0: A, a, <laughs> are ladybirds promiscuous? Very. Really? They get around. Yep, they certainly no protection.
1: Na- none. They're at it. They eat. They eat aphids while having on the job. Yeah. They yeah they just they're a bit they're a bit a bit like that the old lady but certainly not a lady let M- me tell you.
0: Wow, well, there you go. Yeah, Them and so koalas they, yeah. <laughs> with the with the chlamydia. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah amazing what's out there in the insect. Well, I got other
0: problems at the moment. The poor koalas, I but know. anyway, um, did you see that bloke in America? And um, to raise money, that panting you can hear in the background, it's is not,
1: it, it's not me.
0: It's not Sab thinking about <laughs> promiscuous ladybugs. It's your dog Tilly, um, <laughs> that bloke in the US, he was an entrepreneur, and he said, "Oh, you know, let's let's raise more money for Australia. I think we should go and gather, you know, all the the killed koalas, yeah, and." take their fur and make them into luxurious products and sell them. And then the proceeds would go to the bushfire effort. So that didn't go down too well.
1: Could you imagine someone actually wearing koala fur?
0: What do you got there? (laughs) This is authentic Australian koala bear from the bushfire. Yeah.
1: Here you can smell the smoke.
0: It's a tax deduction because all the money gets back. This is getting a bit dark, isn't it?
1: That is so wrong on so many levels. But speaking of critters... And things that creep, fall in your mouth. Wow, or, what an introduction.
0: <laughs> Don't know if she's going to be too happy about that, Sabrina. Probably not the segue she was looking for.
1: We've got a very special guest today. Very yeah. special bit. Be- and she's definitely not into wearing koala. Never has. Um, Tracy Lansdell is with us. And Tracy has dedicated many years of her life to actually building up habitat gardens, in particular to attract native bees. Not so much the European bee, but the native bee. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Thank Do you reckon you've me. eaten uh, many spiders in your life? Or <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know. I don't know. <laughs> I've certainly swallowed quite a few flies yes, out there, but yes. so I don't know about spiders.
1: Mm. So tell us about what what hooked you on studying and, and looking at native bees. What was the I'm gonna take the panting dog out because it's quite it's quite distracting really. So do let us so what how did you get sort of started in this? Okay.
2: Would it be too cliche to say that the bees found me? No,
0: if that's what happened.
2: Shall <laughs> so I go there? It's
0: cliche for a reason. Oh right? you,
2: you complete me bees. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, we actually bought five acres back in two thousand and five and the, 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 it was basically just paddocks, we had some trees, and that was going to be our blank canvas that we wanted to create habitat garden, uh, build an eco home, grow herbs, vegetables, fruit, etc. And And I'll admit that I actually wasn't on the bee radar when we first started, and when we were putting in all of these lovely native plants, I was actually thinking of birds and all of those lovely wrens that we had around, the many, many species that we had I wanted to bring into the garden. And it's one of those things where, you know, when you build it, they come. Uh, I started observing who was coming into the garden and obviously the birds were coming in and as I learned more about what birds they were and what their diet was, realising that it wasn't just the nectar, obviously, that they were eating, these were actually insect-eating birds... So then I wanted to have a look at what insects were around. And, yeah, I I didn't even know that they were native bees. So I was looking at these funny-looking little things on the flowers. There were also these insects that I found that were going into wood borer holes in our bush poles. And it wasn't until I was researching one day uh, some sustainable biodiversity activities that I could do with the primary school kids where I was reading a, a UK website that was talking about bee hotels and I just thought, you know, is that just a honey bee hive that's been painted to look like the continental? Or yeah, it's, it's a good name. It is. Yeah. 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 And thought, well what, what on earth is a bee hotel? And this was just a picture of a tin with bamboo in it. And it was talking about solitary native bees that will nest inside cavities. And so for me I will admit that I thought about pollination and just thought about honeybees and that was it. And, and it was like this big atomic bomb went off in my head where I just thought all of those insects that I'm seeing out in the garden and what's going into that little cavity, they're probably native bees. Why have I never thought about native bees before? And that just, you know, was the thing that just made me want to know more and more and more and do lots of research on them.
0: There's kind of a few things I reckon to unpack there. But the thing for <laughs> me is I love that you started out to do one thing and then it just evolved to a whole other level and you started to uncover, you know, all these other areas and you built it up from that. Do you see that a lot, Sab, with, with yeah. people? Yeah,
1: and particularly um, I guess the big thing about, the most wonderful thing about nature is you look at one thing And it always leads you to another and another and another and another because Mm. it's part of a whole system of things. Um, But it's one thing to to look at something and go, oh, I wonder what that is, I don't know anything about it and because I'm not an expert, I'm not going to bother. But you haven't done that. You've gone, I don't know anything about this, so I'm going to see what Mm. all this is about. Mm. And then you've gone on to research it and then... Even run workshops on how you can make a bee hotel.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, this was back in 2012 when I first discovered them. And even back then, there there wasn't a lot of information available on the internet. There weren't Mm. the books out there that are available now. So, trying to find the information was was sort of digging around. But the more that I learned about them, the more that I was seeing them in the garden and just how diverse they were and so different to honeybees – and then I was talking to people and asking them about honeybee, oh sorry, native bees, realising that no one else knew much about them. I just had this um, inner urge, I suppose, this calling that I wanted to be a voice for these native bees. The more I researched just how vital they are for our ecosystems and how they can benefit our backyards so much i i just wanted to spread the word so that, yeah those workshops they started off at the green Bushes community garden that i yeah. was coordinating and the local Greenbushes primary school taking along little bee hotel uh, activities there but it has grown exponentially from there
0: i'm gonna ask the first dumb bee question <laughs> what's the difference between you know what we traditionally think of as a bee a honeybee and native bees how are they different
2: yeah, so lots of people think that a native bee is just the honeybee that's out in the bush, out in the in the hollows. But the native bees are the ones that actually co-evolved here for tens of millions of years. So they've been co-evolving in this synchronistic, beautiful, mutualistic relationship with our bush and all of the flowers that we love out there. And the native bees, therefore, have not only been here for tens of millions of years, but they've actually helped to shape the bush that we have and, and the, the flowers that we have, the diversity that we have. Whereas the honeybee is an introduced species, has actually only been here for less than 200 years. But wherever there's water in Australia, they've pretty much become quite established. And the ones that are out in the bush are the feral bees and they're, they're actually quite a, a pest.
0: What do they do to the native bees? Is there a bit of competition for, for space between them?
2: competition for space in the hollows is more about the the birds that would normally go in there or the small mammals so feral honeybees will actually go in and and kill whatever's within those hollows and then take it over the competition for the native bee comes down to the floral floral resources so honeybees they're actually a a warm-blooded bee they can get up really early in the morning when it's lovely and cold and they can begin foraging Native bees—they're actually in our area, down from so Perth, down in the southwest area. They're all cold-blooded, and they are, you know, like a fussy teenager. They wait until it's at least eighteen degrees before they get out of bed and start moving for the day. And in that time, there can be quite a lot of um, pollen and nectar already robbed by the the honeybees out in the bush.
1: The other the other difference too is the uh, type of buds. So the vibration. That honey bees do compared to native bees.
0: You can You give me a little sound test here, or so
1: <laughs> so so a native bee goes, "How are you mate? How are you mate? How are you mate? How are you mate? And then the European bee yeah. is a much sort of... no speaking, good. just
2: right
1: with the wings. Um, so the the big thing is. Lots of flowers, as Tracy said, have actually evolved with the native bee, the buzz in the native bee in the wings that actually gets the pollen to drop down. So many of our our native plants can't be pollinated by European bees because they don't have the right vibration and they're the wrong size to fit into many of the flowers. So where we have... Uh, European bees that are taking over territory and people are putting in you know lots of food plants, which of course attracts well the European foods attract the European bee. they're replacing places where our native uh, plants could be, which means we've taken the food source away from native bees, which means there's less native bees. So some of our, some of the families, the genus of plants, can only be pollinated by native bees. The honeybee can't do it. Mm. And that comes down to
2: probably one of the biggest differences between the honeybees and native bees is just their colours and their shapes and their sizes and whether they're sleek and black or whether they're like teddy bears and really furry. All of those attributes that they have, those characteristics, they've actually evolved in that pollination service. So whether they're minute and tiny then that is for those flowers that need mm. something that small to go in or whether they're really big and hairy yeah. or that's more for where they need to be spreading lots of pollen around. That You know, they're messy eaters. They get that shit <laughs> all over themselves. And then as they go around to each of the flowers, obviously then they're, there's master pollinators of them. And, and look, in my garden so far, we've been – so I did start with birds, but, yeah, for the last eight years we've been specifically planting for native bees, which – is never just about an a native bee, really, is it? I no. mean, these are plants that are going to be creating habitat for everything. Mm. And in that time, I've been trying to photograph them and get them identified. And we've counted over 30 different species so far. Really? The smallest one sits right on the end of my pointer finger. It's only a few millimetres long. Wow. The largest one is over two centimetres long, which is the megachili monstrosa. She's monstrously huge. Oh, good name.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: And both of those native bees actually will nest inside your bee hotels, which is something we can talk about as well. Yeah. So the diversity is also about all of the, the sizes and shapes and colour.
1: And it's interesting that that whole concept of of creating a garden for a habitat garden because from my experience I've seen the less manicured your garden is, sort of the wilder it is. The more species it attracts, have you found that?
2: Absolutely, yeah. We started growing raspberries without having a really good containment around them, and then realised just <laughs> how they far that they will actually start you've got spreading. Got a whole half a, half an acre
1: <laughs> yeah. of uh, raspberries,
2: <laughs> and probably weren't the best at you know pruning out all the, the dead ones. Mm. But what we found was when we were going through them and and picking out the little raspberries was the spent canes that we just cut off with about fifteen centimetres still above the ground. They are really soft-centred and there were native bees actually going into those, drilling into that little pithy centre wow. and creating a nest within that. So that neat gardening, if we had you know, made sure that we'd kept mm. it all as the book tells us how to do raspberries, yep. we wouldn't have been supporting that, that little bee with a home.
1: So how hard is it to make a bee hotel?
2: Bee hotels are so much fun. So mm-hmm. these are one of the favourite workshops that I do when I go... And, and look, it's fun whether you're five at a school or whether you're 95 coming along to workshops. Everyone equally loves doing them. And bee hotels, like I'll say first of all, that that's actually only supporting the cavity nesting solitary bees. Mm-hmm. We actually have quite a lot of ground nesting solitary bees as well. So we can talk about that as well. So the cavity nesting ones are going to be the ones that come into bee hotels... And they are essentially a container that you fill with hollow things that basically become rooms for them. But it's not really that they go in there and sleep and say, thanks very much, you know, bed (laughs) and breakfast. There's actually artificial nesting material that you're putting in there. So the females are looking for a cavity to lay their eggs inside and... they will go out and forage in your garden, find the perfect size hole for them. Obviously that tiny little millimetre one wants a mm. much smaller one to the two centimetre sized bee and they will then go in and, and lay their eggs inside and you can stand really close and watch them in that process and they're not aggressive like a honeybee. Mm. And it's a wonderful thing to watch them do that. Well,
1: they're stingless, aren't they?
2: No. No? No. No. So, the stingless native bees, yeah. they're the tropical ones that occur from Geraldton across the top, yep, down to about Sydney. yep, they're just like a honeybee where they have the queen and uh, the workers and the drones, right, So they actually do create a, a little bit of bush honey, they're yeah. stingless, right. Everything that is down here, so f- from Geraldton south, you know, and across the top the bottom of Australia over right. to the East Coast as well, the females can sting, right, the males can't. But they're not aggressive, so if you're accidentally sit on them, yes. or if you're at the bee hotel and you just want to poke and prod her, <laughs> then she might sting you. Right, okay. <laughs> and it's different; they don't actually lose their whole abdomen when they sting either. They can sting multiple times. Right. Oh, that's it's champion. not as not as bad in yeah. that anaphylactic uh, reaction as right, what honeybees can right. be. Mm. Um, th-
1: just one other thing about the the a- attracting bees to the bee hotel, so. Uh, so you're talking about all the different sizes. So is it a good idea to drill different size holes in different types of wood?
2: Yeah, yeah. So you can make bee hotels a few ways and one of them can simply just be a cut off of hardwood. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've put bush poles on our veranda and the yep. cutoffs we then used as bee hotels and it is just a matter of just drilling holes in it. Your native bees, the different sizes... Uh, you can go from the three mil drill bit up to about 11 mils, mm-hmm. no more than 12, and and it's good to have all of those different sizes because then you're going to obviously be supporting a greater diversity of, of bees in the backyard.
1: Does the bee hotel need to be under shelter? If you're going
2: to have it out in the garden, then you do need to have some sort of uh, protective hat over the top. So the one that we did, which was the, the bush pole cutoff, we had a, a saucer, a big pot saucer that we then turned upside down and placed that over the top so that when it rained, the, the water then shed off the bee hotel. And the trick is, is when you're drilling the holes is to have just a slight upwards angle. So if rain does then cascade down, it's not going to pull down and flood into the them. hole. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah. So what? obviously the bee hotel is one side of it, but also it's the, the plants and the, the vegetation mm. that you have yeah. in your garden as well Uh, how closely do you need to look at that when you're thinking about what uh, native bees you want to attract to your place
2: so if I can cover that really comprehensively
0: so when I when I do my workshops I'm, I'm
2: teaching people that to really support native bees you need to look at what are their basic needs and funnily enough it's just like human beings to survive those survival things that they need is food and water and shelter but I always go my, an extra step and say that, you know, they're the things that we need, obviously, to survive. But to really thrive in your garden, I think that they also need to be loved and respected. And I'll touch on that one first. So, you can take that as really far-fetched as I do. <laughs> You've <laughs> so. read them
0: stories, don't you?
2: <laughs> Tuck them into yeah. bed at night. <laughs>
0: Little blankies and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. Yeah.
2: So, I've got little male bees that will sleep inside my calendula flowers. So, when they're there, yeah, each evening I, I do go out and, and say goodnight to them. Cute. <laughs> Don't quite read them a bedtime story. And when I see native bees, I, I certainly um, extend a lot of gratitude for the pollination services that they're mm. doing in my garden. But if you want to keep it very simple, then to love and respect a bee or anything in your garden, then you want to be avoiding chemicals. Mm. So if you're spraying pesticides in your garden, then you're really going to compromise not only native bees but the entire uh, food chain, the web Mm. of life. So no pesticides would be the most important thing there. And then coming back to food, water and shelter. So the shelter is your bee hotels and... uh, I've got a blog on my website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so on my website, I've actually done quite a few blogs on uh, floral resources or how to make bee hotels attracting them in. And the bee hotel side of it, I've, I've actually put up there, you know, what drill bit sizes, how deep you want the holes, other materials that you can be using for those cavity nesting bees. So um, quickly examples are, they always look like bamboo, what I've got in mind, but it's actually the elephant grass. Ah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or false bamboo. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So that's something that just grows as an environmental weed down where yep. we are. So we go and help control that and cut it out. It's never sprayed where we get it. And yeah, so they are hollowed pieces mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. um they look like bamboo. And then there's the raspberry cane cuttings that we put in there. And I would just encourage people to when they're beginning to prune their garden, just to look at the centre of the of the thing that they're pruning. And if it's really soft, well, then maybe actually grab a bundle of that and put a little tie around it and, mm. and put that in Poke the tree. it in mm. somewhere. Yeah. So, we can't obviously spend an hour talking about just bee hotels. So, no. I've got a blog on that. Yeah. And uh, the water side of it, I actually thought initially that native bees would be like the honeybee and they'd need the bird bath, you know, to come up yep. and drink. Yeah. But I've never seen one apart from a dead one who's, you know, probably drowned in there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what, when I was researching, what I found out was that the native bees, they get a lot of their water needs from nectar. From nectar. Mm. And they will, obviously they'll obviously go out and they'll, they'll swallow that, but then they'll regurgitate it up and they'll bubble it in and out of their mouth. And as they're doing that, it's actually concentrating that nectar and then they're absorbing the water part and leaving it with this really sweet concentrated nectar to use either as energy or to put into the nest as well.
1: We could try that and, try that and if we do a survival course. <laughs> do that, that regurgitation and see how that goes. Why not? Mm.
0: Make a nice video, wouldn't it? <laughs> sure people would love to see that. Menu, <laughs> A little bit of bubbling and regurgitation. Doing a native bee impression
1: course, lots of gardeners would know that they have a particular native bee because on their rose bushes they come out and they've got perfect semicircular holes in their leaves they do. made from the little leaf cutter bees. Yeah. So the what does the leaf cutter bee do with those little circles?
2: It's so beautiful to watch that. I actually got a video of that the other day and they're so precise. Mm. It only takes them about 10 seconds mm. with their mouth just to chew this perfect circle. And then you watch them tuck that up in their arms and they fly with that underneath. Then they will go to their nest. So this is the females doing yep. that. And they'll go to their nest and they will they will place that inside the hollow and essentially line the entire nest with that. So like a little cigar in there. Yep. And a lot of... Um, People love perfect leaves, so yes. you can spray and and actually affect the bees yeah. for that. But what I what I say to people at my workshops is that's essentially becoming a cradle for her yeah. little eggs. So why have perfect leaves when you can be supporting those a, lovely bees? A,
1: a whole generation, exactly. Of <laughs> bees.
2: Yeah,
0: that's a nice little part to play, isn't it? It's A it?
1: little blankie for yeah. them. And the yeah. other thing is, it's sort of you know they don't take the whole leaf. No. It's only part of the leaf.
0: Share it so around. Share, you don't need the whole thing.
1: Sh- share your leaves. Yeah, why not? <laughs>
0: it's
1: a lovely thing. might be
0: like picking kids, but do you have a favourite native bee? Oh, that is like choosing between my children. Yeah.
1: No, just a favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> you got a favourite, don't you, Sab? Yeah, I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I would say my
2: favourite to see flying around in the garden is the blue-banded bee. And that's one of the, the most common ones. So that's around Perth Gardens. And but they're very pretty. Yeah, they are. So mm. the blue-banded bee is slightly smaller than a honeybee. It looks a little bit fatter and rounder. And from a distance, it looks like a white thing flying around. Uh, yeah, but they actually have these blue stripes on their abdomen. And when you were talking about the the pollination and their mm-hmm. buzzing, yeah, the blue-banded bee is one of those fabulous ones for food production in our Mm. gardens Mm. so they are a generalist feeder they don't they don't require just specifically native plants and they will come up to your tomatoes chilies capsicum uh, eggplants and kiwi fruit those particular plants require something called a buzz pollination Mm. or sonication and there's amazing youtube things that you could look at with this where Mm. it's slow motion and I, I always thought it was just the, the wing vibration, but there's these YouTube pictures where you can see them and they're literally head-banging the anther <laughs> of the flower.
0: That's the best. It is, isn't it? Yeah.
2: And up to about... Uh, there's something crazy like 300 times a second that they are head-banging the anther wow. of the flower.
0: The heavy metal bee. It,
2: yeah. <laughs> it is. And what that does is it actually stimulates these particular plants to release a big whoosh of pollen. So wow. then they get that all over themselves mm. and go to the next one and they've 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 done studies to see that it improves your yield by over thirty percent.
1: Wow! So if you're
2: food growers and you've got little blue banded bees, it's perfect. Well, they're
1: they're using native bees in the um in the greenhouses, the tomato greenhouses, because of that very reason. Yeah. The pollination is is so much better, and there's a. There's an Australian bush fly that now they've found that is a far better pollinator than the European bee for pollinating blueberry bushes. Mm. So, and of course, it's quite easy to breed up bush flies. <laughs> um, <laughs> you only need a couple of flies, and then you end up with thousands. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. it is interesting that. That evolution of now us looking at what's in our own backyard and going, wow, that's pretty clever trick.
2: Absolutely, mm. yeah. And the food, it's really important, like you said, that we're looking at native plants for our garden. There's, there's really... Um, specialist feeders mm. so the blue banded bee like i said is a journalist so that can go to all of our you know that goes and feeds on my borage and my lavender and and agastache all of those yeah. types of uh, herbs but the uh, specialist feeders they're the ones that only have they've evolved with these flowers and that is that's their diet mm. that alone and if our gardens don't have them so if we don't have the fabasia pea flowers mm. in our gardens then our gardens are really lacking in supporting you know the the local bees in the area yeah so we can look at our backyards and go look my backyard can actually go towards species conservation right here if yep. i if i really look at what it used to be before it was a backyard with lawn and paving and and a pool yeah it used to be an ecosystem and and go to those nurseries that's, that that let you know the endemic plants that we had here yeah and having flowers all year round obviously is going to help with uh with all uh critters in the
1: backyard so so would you say that diversity of flora is going to give you a greater diversity of fauna absolutely right
2: yeah and and really looking at what was here originally But do you
1: need a big space tracy like People listening to this might think, oh, you know, yeah. you've got five acres or whatever and, you know, other people have. So how much, how much space do you actually need?
2: So I, I have five acres, mm. but the majority of the bee garden that I and our, our herb patch, I would say that that is the average backyard. So maybe about 600 square metres mm-hmm. is, is really concentrated in that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're certainly blessed to have gum trees. And uh, these gum trees that we have on our property are all different ones that flower throughout the whole year. And they are key, I think, in really bringing in lots of different bees. Yeah. Um, so, no, you don't need a, a massive space. You can just have a courtyard and you can easily hang a bee hotel under your patio and you can have some flowering plants, you can have some edibles and intermix it all. But definitely look at... because. Our gardens are often really quite flowerless in summertime. Yeah, you know they're, they're these hardy, dry, drought-tolerant things. Mm. So looking at well, what actually used to grow here before it was a back, um, you know, someone's property, and what flowers throughout those those months between spring and summer and autumn, which is the peak nesting time. Right. Because our our native bees down here are actually cold-blooded, so we think about them like our reptiles. They're not actually going to be in our gardens in winter time. In winter. They actually emerge in spring out of out of their right. nests. And their peak nesting time that I've seen in my garden is that January, February, December time. And so that's when we need to have a, a, a nice amount of flowers going on. Mm. And really, we can't do it by ourselves. And that's where if we talk to our neighbours and, and individually but collectively have these wonderful habitat gardens going on, Mm. that's when we can really have an impact on species conservation.
0: Talk to your neighbours. Don't be crazy. Come on. No? Just got to look at them (laughs) passive-aggressively over the fence, right? Is that what everyone does? (laughs) I'm joking. I love my neighbours. They brought me muffins the day I was moving in.
1: Oh, did they? Yeah, that's how I met them. Then we went and
0: had about 24 beers with them after. It was great.
1: that really cemented the friendship right there. We're
0: solid now. Mm. Um, You said at the start that the bees found you, and I reckon you're only half joking, but it's kind of led you down a bit of a path. Have they kind of changed you and your outlook over the years?
2: Yeah, they you can look at them as, as teachers in a way I'm, and I won't get all too spiritual and we were here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, just looking at them, trying to get great photos of them, you know, that is you find happiness in the small moments when you start seeing who's coming into your garden mm. and utilising what you've actually planted and then when you try and get a, a lovely photo, you know, you can actually see that as a, a mindfulness practice. There's nothing else that is occurring but that very moment. And I tell you what, you're pretty elated when you actually get a clear photo because for the one good photo that you've got, you've got 50 <laughs> bee bums because
1: <laughs> they've yeah. dived yeah. into the flower. I so you get. <laughs> hard to... Stay <laughs> <laughs> <They> still. Someone <laughs> sent me a photo once of uh, the leaf cutter bee mid-flight... Wow. With the little piece of leaf that they were That's holding. Cool. The most amazing shot I have ever seen. Yeah. I don't know how the hell they got it.
2: No, no. A lot of my good photos are actually of the male bees when they're roosting. So, at night time, they'll often roost in the calendula flowers yeah. or they'll hold on to a twig. Yeah. And after a certain um, temperature drop because they're cold-blooded, they're not going to be really active. And that's when you can get up quite close and and take those great macro
0: photos of them. Sneak
2: up on them. Sneak up on them.
0: Good. Those (laughs) bloody male bees always showing off for a photo too. (laughs) (laughs) Just sounds like a reflection on life, doesn't it? Um, Uh,
1: I I was privileged once, Jamie, to see one of the most amazing bee sites I've ever seen. I was up in Carnarvon and the burrowing bees were all emerging for breeding coming out of the ground. And it was just... I had never seen burrowing bees before. So the ground was just like this ripple and then literally hundreds of big bees emerged up out of the ground. That's cool. And the majority of them, I think the male to females like 20 to 1 or something ridiculous. So the males come up and they immediately go straight into battle. To fight for the few females that are there, mm. but it was the most incredible sight.
2: Yeah, and they're
1: yeah. big bees, aren't they? They're, they're like actually
2: some of Australia's biggest bees. Yeah, I think if not the, the biggest one in Australia, I think they are. So they're yeah. about an inch long.
1: But these battles were the they noise were like would have been gladiators. Amazing. Yeah, because
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. they, the, they just they go full into this you know head on body on charge, and you get these big. Rumble balls of where there's about <laughs> 10 bees or wrestling with each other.
0: Well, 20 to 1. I mean, yeah, whatever it takes with them. those odds, right?
1: <laughs> there's a
2: really great David Attenborough cinematography thing on YouTube that you can uh, Google, but watch it before you show your children because oh. it is about the mating season. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so And it is showing the males emerging first of the Dawson burrowing bees and how they are then waiting for what they call the virgin females yeah. to emerge out the ground, and it is... 20 20 males (laughs) jumping on one female. And at one stage, one female has her head chopped off and it flies around. So, you know, with all of the David Attenborough uh, voiceover, which is quite priceless. It's
1: the kind of foreplay you do not want to look at.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Some homework. (laughs) I'll just, I'll Google that, but not on the work computer. No. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But no, our bees are, they are really amazing. And, and one thing I haven't mentioned is the number that we have in Australia. So when I started researching it, I thought, well, how many species of bees are there in the world? Mm. And there's actually over 20,000 different species of bees. And the honeybee, what we always think about, doesn't even make up 1% of that bee species. Mm. Yeah, right. So, and, and what I thought was quite amazing, the, the most um, amazing part of all was that 98% of these 20,000 species don't live in a hive. They don't have the queen and the workers and they don't create honey. 98% are the solitary. solitary. And so they will either live in those bee hotel cavities or out in the bush that so will be a, a wood borer hole or they're ground nesting. And they're just purely pollinators. They're there to serve the ecosystem, essentially. When they're foraging, the the pollination is just this side effect of their f- feeding.
1: And I'm sure there's... Dozens of species we ha- still haven't discovered Absolutely. yet. Oh,
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So in Australia, you know, the, the numbers they say most of the time are 1,600, but mm. it's actually closer to 2,000 because mm. there's, ones, there's samples that haven't been identified and given an official name. Right. But they're still discovering more. Mm. But at the same time, with the habitat degradation and habitat loss, we are definitely losing species that we probably don't even know about.
1: Mm.
2: And that's just, yeah, reiterating that importance of reserving all of these lovely bushland mm. yeah
0: and doing our bit as well as you have um tracy so good to speak to you uh, That was fascinating stuff
2: oh you know i can go on for about two hours yeah but um <laughs> for
1: people that are interested what's you what's you have you got a facebook page or a website or a blog I have, page or yep
2: yep so instagram is where i put a majority of the the good bee photos up and um my business name is green tree naturopathy yep so i'm actually a naturopath not just a, a bee person and I'm on Facebook, Instagram and my website is greentreenaturopathy.com.au. and if people go to the blog section, like I said, there's how to make the bee hotels, how to create a garden and then what I thought would be really cool is to actually go around in the indigenous seasons and write down every single flowering plant, whether it's a ground cover, yep. the tallest tree, edible fruit tree. So, I'm up to my fourth season so far awesome. in writing all of that. And and so, then people can go, okay, well, I've got a tiny backyard. I can choose those and then yep. choose those from that season. And all of a sudden, I've got a garden that's providing all year round.
0: Love it. We'll chuck the links up yep. uh, on the, the podcast too and on our social handles. Um, yeah, Tracy, great to see
2: you. Oh, thank
1: you so much for having me. That was Love fun. Love your work.
0: I want to go do some bee work now. That's, yep. that's my homework for the Get next your week. Get little
1: hotel going. Yep.
0: Yeah, we'll put one out the back.
1: Vacancies available.
0: Yeah, that's it. You're welcome. Hey, good to see you, Sab. Uh, And thanks for this episode to our mates at DeSatco Mulch as well.
1: Absolutely. And we'll chat with you next week.
0: Look forward to it.